Welcome to Seeking Returns with me, Doug Barnett, co-founder of Ptarmigan Capital. Now, in this, the first episode, we are joined by the fantastic entrepreneur, Mary Bonser. Mary is a trained lawyer, but seven years ago, she started her own business, Flex Legal. Flex is a technology-enabled platform that connects law firms to fixed-term lawyers, trainees, and paralegals. It's essentially a sort of legal dot joiner with two sides to its business. So for law firms, it saves them time and money by connecting them to pre-vetted talent. And then on the other side of the business, they open the doors to the legal industry to aspiring lawyers. And there's a particular focus on solicitors from underrepresented backgrounds. Mary's awesome. We discuss why she started the business, the problems she was trying to solve, the challenges she's faced as she's growing the business. And most recently, she has sold the business uh, to Mishkon Durea, the law firm based in London. Uh, we also discuss the challenges of selling a business. Um, if you have any questions, then do get in touch at contact at tarmigancapital.co.uk. But without further ado, this is Seeking Returns. Mary Bonser, welcome to the podcast. What has been your best investment? Ooh, ooh, hi, everyone, and thank you so much for having me here. Best investment. So there's been a few things, but I think the number one investment was I've taken quite a lot of time reading management books. Um, so books like The Messy Middle um, or Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And I think that sounds probably very cheesy, but when you come into a role and you're suddenly managing a team or growing a business and it's something you've never done before, it can seem quite daunting. And when you read some of these books, they have such wise nuggets of wisdom that you realise that you're really not alone and it's very normal to kind of uh, be questioning whether you can do it. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's funny because they, they, uh, they're in the uh, sort of category. Sometimes they're in the category of sort of self-help books. And they're sort of so, so applicable. Um, so what just if you can outline some of the sort of nuggets that you've pulled out of the books? Yeah, so I'm currently reading The Messy Middle, which is why it's um, so relevant. And it's just really it just really makes you um, remember that everyone loves the glamour of kind of when you start a business and everyone loves the glamour when you end the business or have an exit or or sell. But but the messy middle is the bit where the sort of magic happens. And and really, it's just keep persevering and you're going to have ups and downs. And it's all about just making decisions and, and keep going. You, you now don't need to read the book. I've sort of summarised. <laughs> um, and also the other. So the five dysfunctions of a team I loved because naturally confrontation and discomfort um I struggled with because I quite like I'm a bit of a people pleaser so having difficult conversations was always something that I'm aware I struggle with and 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 this is the, the five dysfunctions of a team is all about how you really need to step into that uncomfort zone and it's actually okay it's really good to debate it's really good to have um d- disagreements as long as you come out united the other side and Mary, let's let's turn to your business, um, Flex Legal. Um, I wonder if, first of all, you could give me the elevator pitch uh, and then what problem you were trying to solve 
Yeah, so Elevator Pitch is Flex Legal is an online platform to connect law firms and in-house teams to legal resource. Um, that's the kind of, I suppose, one-liner um, problem we were trying to solve. So I, I qualified as a lawyer, but before getting a training contract, really struggled to find to find a training contract and even get work experience. And um, eventually I did, and it was all quite archaic. It was paper timesheets, and I had to go and get them signed off and scanned in and fax them back across to, to my agency. So, so the problem really was trying to help law students get work experience so that they could become a qualified lawyer, um, but using a tech platform to make it super slick and efficient. And then over time, that's kind of developed into uh, lawyers as well, making sure people can work in a different way. Um, and also we have a social mobility scheme where we help people from disadvantaged backgrounds now qualify as a lawyer too. So it's kind of a two-sided market, i.e. You're, you're dealing with both law firms and lawyers themselves or paralegals themselves. Um, I wonder how then you, what, what are your sort of routes to market or what were your routes to market in the early days and trying to get the name out, etc.? Yeah, it's it's definitely a kind of two sided piece. Um, and so the way we did it is the kind of what we call supply side. So candidate side was felt like the obvious place to go because there are 25,000 law students for, at the time, 5,000 training contracts. So there was a massive kind of oversupply for jobs available. So we 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 just started with a spreadsheet and I went and met lots of law students, put them onto my Excel spreadsheet, got their CVs. And basically, I was the middleman um, before we then built the tech platform around it. And And I definitely I think it's really interesting now that so many people try and build the tech product before when actually you could probably just prove whether it's going to work or not with a spreadsheet. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I see that. Is um, So I can see the sort of demand that that is a staggering statistic. Was it um, 20,000 students to 5,000 jobs? So, so I can see the, the benefit, I guess, for the candidates. What, what are the sort of key benefits for the law firm? Are you um, saving them time, saving them money, saving them uh, and protection, sort of legal protection. Where, where, where do you sort of see the pressure points for them? Yeah, so both for law firms and in-house legal teams, often it, it's really hard to predict legal work. You have such peaks and troughs, and like so, in where I qualified was litigation, and you never, you know, it, at a law firm when you go through a disclosure exercise, you never know how many documents the client's going to have. So that's kind of a really obvious example of where suddenly they might give you millions and millions of documents and you just don't have enough resource to go through them before the court deadline. So being able to kind of flex that resource up and down very quickly is so important and something that law firms, their whole business model is is people. So something that they need to kind of um, adapt at so that they don't over hire and then have loads of people kind of twiddling their thumbs. And I wonder if you can comment on how the market's changed, because you've been operating for seven years, correct? Seven years. I wonder in that time, have have law firms sort of adapted their processes um, or, you know, have the, you know, that applicant candidate ratio or candidate um, uh, place ratio 
Uh, has that compressed? Where have you seen some sort of changes in the market? Yeah, so we've had probably one of the biggest changes in the legal sector in terms of how you qualify over that time. So um, the way you used to qualify was in fact, it was GDL LPC two-year training contract, and now they've revamped that with this thing called the Solicitor Qualifying Examination. And um, what that really means is that people now can qualify in-house or just sitting under a solicitor without it having to go via a law firm. So that was brilliant for us because it meant that we could really help more amazing students qualify through our in-house clients. So um, currently. We've got some people qualifying in Vodafone and Diageo. Um, so it, it's, it really has opened up the barriers to kind of become a, become a solicitor. Yeah, I see. And take us, sort of bring us completely up to date. How big is the, how big is your firm now? How many law firms are you working for? And what's your sort of candidate throughput here? Yeah, so we, so Flex kind of internal at HQ, we have about 55 of us. And then out and about every day, so that's lawyers, paralegals and trainees, we have about 300, 350 people. Um, so it's, and that's where you really do need the tech, because the tech is the bit that keeps our, make sure we're compliant, make sure everyone's got right to work checks, we do all the timesheets. It's all kind of automated and very mm -hmm. smooth and efficient. Yeah, and actually that's, Staying on the, the tech, I mean, where do you see the sort of value of your business? Is it in the people? Is it in the relationships? Is it in the actual technology that you're building? You know, when you're trying to think about um, the sort of secret source within your business, where where do you what do you sort of pinpoint? It, it's so something I've always said is the tech's really cool. Of course, it's cool, but it's it's like if we provide a bad person to a client, they'll never use us again. So the tech has kind of made us, I suppose the tech has made us be able to scale and has helped with all the boring bits. So the um, compliance and the speed, um, but some, we would we would never automate the kind of getting to know the candidates and getting to know the clients, because I think that's where the recruitment magic happens of making sure you get the right cultural fit and um, and actually you're kind of properly doing both sides. Mm -hmm. I see. Where, as you've grown, where have been the pressure points? Where have the, I'm not sure what to call these, the, the, the oh God, sleepless night moments? Yeah, so we've had so many. So many. Where to um, start? <laughs> where to start? I think, I think what, the, the biggest one was probably one year in and we suddenly had a massive growth um, kind of surge and we were going to run out of money. And it was a really tricky one because we, we were the reason we were about to run out of money is because we were growing so quickly. And it was we, and yeah, definitely a few sleepless nights over um, over that. But actually, it's in those sleepless nights where you have to make decisions quickly, where I think the sort of magic happens in that um, once that had happened once, we were like, we never want this to happen again. So we brought in invoice factoring to make sure that we could continue to scale. And it's sort of in those moments that you have to make a, you have to kind of fix it. It becomes so urgent of, of your survival that you sort of do. Whereas I reckon invoice factoring 
it's probably just explain not it, invoice factoring and um, what... um, so invoice factoring is so in our model we pay our candidates every two weeks but law firms might take a month or two months to pay us so you can see kind of your outgoings is more than, than your ingoing. So so invoice factoring basically allows you to borrow against an invoice. So as soon mm. as you've raised an invoice, you can borrow against it to pay the candidate. So we do that, but we only ever borrow the kind of amount going out rather than our profit as well, um, which just means it's a really nice scalable model because you can keep borrowing. And, and, and keep growing and it doesn't matter as much as you have if you suddenly have a big client needing 100 people mm, um yeah, i see I, I can see actually in a business like flex legal work and capital requirements given that disconnect between um you know the cash uh given the cash flow disconnect uh would be a real issue um i wonder where else i mean where else do you sort of see the sort of uh, challenges to growth because clearly I mean the addressable market is big you know clearly your technology is 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 powerful but where what are the impediments to growth I think it's I mean we now would at the stage so so we're at the stage of growth where potentially when we first set ourselves up um, we, we kind of need to change an internal structure a bit. So we have a lot of um, heads heads of <laughs> because as you bring people in and they start new things um, and equally the way Flex was set up as we, we, you know, we, we did paralegals, then lawyers, then trainees. So we have these sort of three different teams, but the client is always the same. So we now need to kind of be a bit more client centric and probably set ourselves up so that a client can call up and speak to one person if they want all three different types of people rather than three different teams. So I guess there's and I, I think this is very normal in all companies as they grow is like the, the structure that you start off with might not be right in the six months time. And I think being open to that uncertainty and constant fluctuation is, is a big part of kind of growing any business. And I wonder if we can turn to, you know, your recent news, which came out earlier this year, um, your uh, partnership with the law firm Mishcon Durea. Um, I wonder if you can to start by just describing that process of of um, doing a deal with them uh, and the sort of stresses and strains. And and I suppose, I mean, even interacting with a firm like Mishcon Durea must be incredibly time consuming. I wonder mm-hmm. how you split your time between sort of working on the business and working in the business. It's a really, really good question. And one that definitely the time you begin to learn the importance of spending time on the business, not in the business. Um, but I think most it's very normal to get kind of sucked into the day to day operations. Um, so we were we were in a fortunate position, and I think I remember someone saying this to me that you never want to sell your business when it's at its peak and there's no further growth. You sort of want to sell it when there's hopefully an uphill curve, and you'll get a good valuation, but there's still more potential growth. So flex, I think, was that is at that point. Like I think we could carry on, and we were growing quickly, and we didn't need to sell at all. But when Mishcon came along and told us about their vision and how um, together we'd be more kind of powerful and having them behind us to kind of continue with that growth, it became very, very appealing. Um, so 
Yeah, I, I think you always want to be in a position where you don't need to sell because mm-hmm. it, it means your bargaining strength is probably a little bit um, like in a good way swayed towards the founders. Um, and and it's exciting. And then it's all about valuation and do you believe in the bigger vision? Cultural fit was really key for me. So one of Mishcon's values is entrepreneurial um, and that feels very at home with, with mm-hmm. uh, Flex. Flex's value is entrepreneurial. So there was a good kind of cultural match, um, which I think is, you know, one of the main, like that, in fact, the most important thing when you when you get bought. So difficult to kind of measure that. Yeah. You know, it's so difficult to measure the cultural um, sort of integration. Um, I wonder if anything changed, if, if anything has changed. I mean, it's early days, but um, if anything has changed culturally or you expect anything to change maybe operationally post um, being, being, being taken over. Because, you know, it's one thing being a sort of natty startup and inverted commas and, you know, being able to move fast and break things, quote unquote. Um, but I wonder if there's a, the, if, it, if, if that kind of culture and mindset changes when you get taken out. So I would challenge you on that. I think you can find out culture. And I think the absolute key is going and speaking to l- as many people as you can who is, who, who, mm-hmm. um, in the business before and doing your research I think it's really easy to think that you don't need to do your research back whereas I spent a lot of time meeting a lot of people Mythical Derez a thousand one thousand five hundred people I met a lot of people to really ask you know what is the culture what do you like what don't you like and 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 because of that they, the entrepreneurial thing is so live in Mishcon that they they still want us to try new things, break things, move quickly. You know that all that stuff, which is so important to why I think Flex has been a success. They love and they want us to keep doing. So, um, so I I haven't. I think we've been lucky in that we found a really good match. But I equally think we did a lot of research mm-hmm. to make sure it was a good match and make sure that. That entrepreneurial they weren't just saying that so when we joined it would suddenly be very bureaucratic and no you can't do this and you have to get sign off here it's really not that at all they're like keep going grow your business and try new things and 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 if it doesn't work it doesn't work <laughs> it sounds like it sounds like the best of both worlds the best of both worlds i wonder then mary if you look to the future um where do you sort of see the business in five years time and and where do you want to kind of position yourself yeah, so I think um, the way people, the in-house legal teams are changing shape. So as our law firms, you won't just have lawyers in the business, you'll have data analysts, you'll have resource managers, you'll have all these sorts of kind of quasi-legal roles. So where I think Flex will go is we'll still be a supplier of people, you know, whether that's trainees, apprentices, lawyers, paralegals, but equally we'll probably start doing other roles. So COSEC, data protection officers, project managers, um, and just kind of broaden our our skill set. And I wonder then, looking back, Mary, if you had to either give yourself some advice seven years ago when you started uh, Flex Legal, uh, or to perhaps our younger listeners who are maybe thinking about doing something in entrepreneurial what advice would you give 
them or perhaps what skills do you think they need to acquire to equip themselves for the ups and downs of running a startup? Yeah, it's so funny. So one, something when I left my law firm, I burst into tears and thought, oh, my God, what, what on earth have I just done? <laughs> Where am I going? This is terrifying. And I rang um, my mum, who just said, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Fortune favours the brave. If in a year's time it doesn't work, you would have learnt loads and you can go back to being a lawyer. And that's always sort of been my mantra like if, you know it's really if it doesn't work you, you you learn so much along the way that it's worth giving it a go and trying something so I think um advice to younger self would be just be brave and, and do it and then I also do think the tech piece is really important which I kind of said a bit earlier but you don't need to build a very expensive tech piece to prove the revenue model and so I would always say I'm probably more of the, maybe this is the risky adverse lawyer, but raise a little bit of money, get going, see if you can actually bring in bring in the cash as cash is king and then start scaling. Don't go and raise millions of pounds to build the shiny tech thing, which probably won't work and you might not have the kind of commercial model quite right. <laughs> um, I see. Right, and I'm also going to take away the... Um and read The Messy Middle and Five Dysfunctional... Dysfun what is it? Five Dysfunctions, five dysfunctions. of a Team. Um, I look forward to reading both of those. Mary Bonser, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to Seeking Returns with me, Doug Barnett, co-founder of Tarmacan Capital, and our guest this week, Mary Bonser. If you've enjoyed this episode, or indeed any of these episodes, well then why not like us, subscribe, and get in touch. 